Good morning and welcome to this week's episode of Chatters and Matters here on Midlands 103. The programme is of course brought to you with thanks to the county councils and age-friendly alliances across Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. I'm your host Ashling O'Rourke and I hope you are safe and well as you tune in this Sunday morning. Well look, it is February it's springtime and it's a time of year when farms are very, very busy. So we wanted to check in with the farming community right here in the Midlands. But first up, I wanted to talk to John Fitzpatrick of the IFA in County Leash about bird flu. And what should we do if we see a dead bird when we're out and about? Morning, Ashley. Well, I suppose, first of all, it's probably prevalent in, in the larger birds, and if, especially if you see one of the larger birds dead, um, there's generally a pretty good reason for it. The bird flu, um, it's mainly it's mainly a problem above in Cavan, Monaghan, where mm-hmm. all the flocks and all that are up there. But if you do see it, happen to see it down here, yeah, the first thing you do is um, obviously don't touch it because it could be contagious if you had birds or anything like that of your own. You're not so sure yourself. The second is you you um, contact the Department of Agriculture and they will come and take it away and test it. And if it is found to be the, the bird flu, um, like the people in that area will have to um, maybe keep their flocks, uh, their birds inside. Um, for safety because it is passed from <clears throat> from bird to bird by you know by the air it's something we can't stop from coming into the country because the birds fly in and out of the country so it's just something that we have to be aware of and try and control the minute we see and john as you say like yeah. it is it's a positive in one aspect in that it appears to be confined at the moment to the Cavan monaghan area but you know birds fly it's what they do Absolutely. so we do have to be mindful if we do see something um that if it raises an alarm, we get in contact with the Department of Agriculture. That's correct, yes. Okay. Now, John, I know you and I have talked about this. We talked about it last year. Um, We talk about this every year at this time of year. It's a fabulous time of year. It's lambing season. It's a hectic time for you and your colleagues. But lambing season comes with some uh, difficulties um, from a farming's perspective. We've all gotten very comfortable in the last couple of years with, you know, we've seen a, a huge surge in people getting dogs um, to bring them out on their walks and their lockdown walks and all of that. Is it still as big an issue for you when it comes to dogs worrying lambs and, and use um, uh, and even attacking them? It's it's a problem that has not gone away and it's not decreasing in any year and that's very very worrying um from our point of view because it is lambing time it's also dog control time if you want to talk look at it that way as well and like there is a few problems one of them is a deficiency in 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 legislation and the other is there's even legislation there at the moment and it's not being enforced Mm -hmm. Um, we also have like uh less than half the dogs in the country are microchipped so there's no traceability if dogs are captured as linking them to, to owners as regards responsibilities and it is the law that dogs should be microchipped now it is the law and yeah. you're like fighting against the law that's not being enforced yeah. as well that's yeah. a very, very frustrating thing and like we have um <clears throat> four points that we we put to government and now the minister when we met him recently has agreed to act on it 
but um, nothing has happened yet. And I just briefly run through the four just that you'll have an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that a, a single national data for all dogs in the country be that identifies the person responsible for the dog. You know, again, when the microchip that will be able to link it back to the owner. Um, tougher sanctions for those found with non-compliance of the microchipping. Um, then there's another one, more uh, appropriate sanctions also for for those who fail to have their dogs under control at all times. And for those um, whose dogs are identified as worrying or attacking um, livestock. And finally, additional resources to ensure compliance with the obligations of dog owners, that everybody does their basics that look after them. You know, and, and this thing of, uh, and it's a big, big issue um, of being out your dog for a walk and you're outside in the country and you have a big field in front of you and you take the dog off the lead lamb off for a run. Like that's 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 a big no-no. Also a big no-no is, is, is the fact that dogs are not controlled at night. Yeah. And it's a well-known fact that dogs meet up, let be the quietest dog, once they meet up with another dog, they go around the hunting packs, and that's a problem that we can't just seem to um, get over. But if this new legislation and the likes of the roads come in, it should give more responsibility to the owners, and that might make people um, a bit more aware. Like, I know, like, look, John, I've been a dog owner since I was 12 years old. And I, before that, I walked my neighbor's dogs. I love dogs. Um, and I can understand I am a townie, even though both sides of the family came from farming backgrounds. Um, so, like, I didn't have a facility or a space to let the dog off the lead to get exercise and run. So I can understand why if you live in a city or an urban area, let's say, that you might want to go and let the dog stretch their legs. But we have there, there's consequences to everything and in where i'm very lucky where i live in the local park there is quite a large fenced in area a mm. dog run where i can go and responsibly let the dog stretch her legs enjoy herself get a bit of exercise without causing anybody else any kind of hardship yes it would seem logical to me that if and these dog runs tend to be in city areas not in rural towns I, I suppose, and this is me, you know, um, attempting to contribute to solving the problem here. If we had more dog runs and facilities for people to take their dogs to places where they can be let off the lead, would that clamp down a bit on people who just don't know have anywhere else to bring the dog? Um, just rocking up in the car to a random countryside lane and letting the dog off the lead. Well, it would, of course, if, if people used it. Yeah, that's the basic, that's the simple thing answer to that. But if if the park is a couple of miles away and there's a field beside your house or there's a field at the edge of the town or the village you're living in, um, I'm not so sure whether people would travel the distance to to walk their dog. But but that's this is one of the the things you have to think about when you're when you're getting a dog. Like the dogs, obviously they're lovely little pups and all that when they're young. Then they get bigger, they need exercise. And they're one of the things you have to realize when when um, you're purchasing a dog. That's one of the things you have to look into. So Yeah, absolutely. And it is a fair point that if you're going to have a dog and, and you know, you're going to have to figure out how you're going to get it exercised because it needs to be exercised at least once a day, depending on the breed. Um, and yeah, we all have to be responsible um, for, yes. for anybody, for any member of the family, four-legged ones included. John, is it becoming... Um, 
more of an issue in recent years, or at least I think it is because I'm seeing more of it, of dogs being out without a lead. Like that, it used to be a case that you might see a dog wandering. I remember when I was younger, but I'm seeing more and more people bringing their dogs on a walk on a main road even, um, and the dog not being on a lead. Yeah, I, I see that. I see that also. No, I do. I do see an awful lot of responsible people, and they have their dog leads, and some of them have their their um, extension extension leads as well. Um, but I suppose the the concern I have is on that regard is probably safety on the road because some of the dogs mightn't be very um, uh, road um, <laughs> road savvy, very, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Savvy. And I'd be nervous of that, but I suppose from the farming point of view, uh, the big one is letting them run around the, the fields. And like there was an incident up in Dublin, was it last year or sometime when the dog wouldn't even come back for two or three days? And where was the dog in between? What did it live on? You know, and like just to give us an idea of the scale of the problem, no matter what sheep farmer you talk to in the country, um, at some stage, they will have an encounter with a dog attack. That's how, how wide scale it is. And it's a, it's a devastating thing to come on. So trying to, if we could get them four, four points um, brought into legislation, plus the legislation enforced. It's it, like legislation is no use unless it's enforced. And I have to make people more aware. And that's why I'm here this morning, trying to make people more aware. And most people are responsible. But you just have to be always thinking and look after your, your pets and i think john as well like okay farm animals i know farm animals are not pets but farmers do put an awful lot into taking care of those animals um just like a dog owner makes sure that the dog goes to the vet and is well minded and cared for and it's a terrible hardship so like i don't think any dog owner would like to think of their dog being killed in an attack and i think we need to maybe think really think about like this th that's the same attitude that a farmer would have towards their animals yeah well like you can just take it uh, for an example that when a lamb is born and if the weather is pretty good pretty decent it's not over cold or over wet the lamb could be out at a day old yeah. two days old. and if there is an attack that lamb can't run very fast the o the o is going to stay to protect the lamb, lamb so she won't run and you know it's it's like the programs you see and i've said it before on 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 um some of the nature programs like there's a chase and there's a kill yeah and and that's basically it and at the end of the day dogs are hunters Absolutely. that's what they've evolved to do and yeah. yes they're lovely when they're curled up on the sofa beside us and i'd be lost without mine but their instinct yes. is there to hunt uh, and there's, and we can't do anything other than keep them under control. Um, well, look, I hope for all the farmers in the region, it's a good lambing season and a good calving season uh, for everyone concerned. I'd like to think we won't have very many attacks on farms from wild dogs or loose dogs. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's important that we do um, remind ourselves that at this time of year that farm animals are particularly vulnerable um so we need to do our bit to mind our dogs and make sure that they don't do any harm
Yeah, and I suppose just from the from the farming point of view, it, as you said, it's, it's calving time as well. And just, um, I suppose, to remind, I don't have to remind farmers, but just to be aware and be conscious of farm safety and, and uh, at calving um, time. Um, it's a very busy time on farms. Um, there's a lack of help on farms and like the work still needs to be done. And in a lot of cases, uh, that's more pressure on the farmer because the work still has to be done. Um, there's a mental and physical um, tiredness there and there's stress there. So it's just to everybody to try and be aware of and keep farm safety at, at, um, at, at the front at all stages. Absolutely, John. And it is important to say that just because the days are getting a little bit brighter and they're brighter for a little bit longer doesn't mean that you need to work that bit longer when you're tired. If you're tired, you stop working, you go home and you get a bit of rest because when you're tired is when is when the accidents will happen. Well, John Fitzpatrick, a chairperson of Leash IFA, thank you for checking in with us and um, I hope you have a good spring on the farm. Hopefully. Thanks, Ashley. Take care. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Chatters and Matters here on Midlands 103. The programme is brought to you with thanks to the County Councils and Age Friendly Alliances of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Well, I hope you are safe and well this morning and curled up with a nice hot beverage while you tune in to us on this Sunday morning. Well, last week I had a bit of a confession in that I don't buy into Valentine's Day. For me, it's a bit too commercial. Um, but it got me to thinking that it can be a hard week if you're single. And, you know, it's hard to be surrounded by people who are all loved up and buying each other's presents and sharing things on social media. So we thought this morning we might dedicate a bit of time to singles like myself. Let's be honest here, Ashling. Um, and we're joined now by Mairead Lockman, a matchmaker from Love HQ. And Mairead is based in Mullingar in County Westmeath. Mairead, Thanks for taking the time to join us. Good morning. How are you this morning? Mairead, first things first, because I know there are a lot of people in your business in Ireland. It's it's um, uh, mm-hmm. quite an in- interesting um, service, I suppose. I, was ne- I nearly said industry. It's not an industry, a service that you provide. Yeah. But for people who are not familiar <coughs> with the idea of matchmaking in modern Ireland, what exactly yeah. is it or how does it work even? So essentially, I meet all of my clients in person for a consultation before I arrange all their dates for them. So I hold consultations in Dublin, Galway, Cork, Limerick, Kilkenny and Wellingar. And the odd time as well, I'll stop off in Port Leash on the way down to, which I will be doing this week on the way down to Limerick and on the way down to, to Cork meeting clients. So I stop off in Port Leash as well and meet clients. I get to know the client. I get to know the type of person they would like to meet. And then something else that I may you know, need to know in order to help me match them. So essentially, it's a bespoke service. It's very relaxed. It's very easy. Some people come to me and they might say that they're quite nervous. Um, but there's absolutely no need to be nervous. We have a cup of tea. We have a cup of coffee. We sit down and we chat. And it's a, it's a lovely thing for anybody to do. You know, what I found, especially over the last two years, People that were maybe a little bit lonely beforehand are now very lonely. Um, even on Friday, I was speaking to a lovely lady. Um, she's 75 years of age in Carlow. And she said, look, during the day is all fine. I meet with the family. She's grandkids and everything is fine. But like she said, she goes home. She's widowed and she goes home the evening. And it's a very long evening ahead. And she said she'd just like to have a little bit of company. She'd like to have somebody maybe to do things with or go to family occasions with. 
But like, it doesn't matter how great your friends are. It doesn't matter how great your family are. There is kind of, you know, there is no substitute for having a romantic partner in your life. And for a lot of people, they don't think about this for older generations. No. And like, like in my age category, the issue is, um, and I experienced it myself, where the majority of my friends are married with children. So even dragging yeah. them out on a night out <laughs> is is virtually coming up with gold dust. difficult, yeah. Okay, okay. So like, mm. and I think it's, it can be totally overwhelming. Like if you go into yeah. the, the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, if you're into technology and you look for, say, dating apps, then the list, never mind selecting one and then going and setting it up for yourself and all of that. Yeah. It's hard to know where to start. And I think it. there are some people who've said to me, do you know, I don't bother with dating. It's a young person's game. Yeah, and it's sad because anybody that has a heart once your heart is beating in your chest you should and if you would like to find love should have the opportunity to do so what i would say is anybody that hasn't dated since 2013 i would say dating is completely different now since 2013 with the introduction and really that's when it properly came to ireland online dating with the introduction of um internet dating you know the whole landscape and how you meet people has completely changed and yes if if you're not tech savvy you know if you're not into downloading apps if perhaps you live in more of a rural area and you don't have a great internet connection but also for a lot of people that are you know over the age of 50 60 70 depending on what age you are you've had a life already so the last thing you want to do is start putting your you, you know your face up online for the public to see um you know you might be a little bit private perhaps you're widowed perhaps you know you've had a higher profile or whatever it might be you don't want to be putting yourself up some people liken it to like sticking a, a prized cow up on done deal you know and for a lot of people that's what it feels like yeah. what i would say to people is um, society, it has become completely socially acceptable to be online dating. It really has. I know the feeling you might not want to do it yourself. But I always say to people, anywhere that you're meeting new, like-minded people, it is no harm. There might be no harm in dipping your toe in the water and giving it a go. Just having a look. You can always switch it off afterwards. It's not out there forever. You know, you can turn off your profile photographs and all those sorts of things. Um, like there's no need for anybody to be lonely and completely on their own. There are other people out there looking for similar to yourself, depending on, you know, your age group, what walk of life, all of those different things. The oldest person that I have matched was aged 83 in Tipperary. And so, you know, what I would say is there is no age limit in love, but absolutely it should be accessible. It should be available to everybody. A lot of people as well may have been into the country dances, all of those have stopped over the last year too. I know they're coming back now, but still some people are a little bit nervous and the whole lot. What I would say is if at all possible, do try and get out there. There are other people out there that are in the exact same situation yourself. And perhaps there's people out there that maybe were not interested in dating three, four years ago because of whatever was going on in their life. But the, the lockdown and spending time on their own may have changed their mind. So don't disregard someone that maybe you've asked out before or that has asked you out before, start the conversation again, because there is great opportunities out there if you're looking for love or even a little bit of romance. I'm really glad that you brought up the loneliness factor. And um, one mm -hmm. of the reasons this program originally came to being was because the Age Friendly Alliance was really concerned about the loneliness of us living yes. at home, being confined back in 2020. And like it is, 
I think, and I, I've discussed this with people before, we've all become in a way, we've, we've become hermits. Yeah. And any effort to get out and about or even to maybe book an appointment with yourself or somebody like you mm -hmm. can be very daunting. So for people listening who would like to um, give love a chance effectively, and I know that sounds really cheesy. Um, yeah. The minute I said it, I realized it. Um, but who yeah, want but to maybe true. like tip a toe in the water, but are feeling very nervous despite how lonely they might feel. What advice would you give them? Well, I'd say it's just start. Think about out of 10 how much you'd like to meet somebody. You know, if it is out of 7 or 8 or 9 or even 10 out of 10, that's how much that you would like to meet someone. Just just start on the process, okay? Like, ring someone like myself. I'd have a consultation with you. And if I have someone suitable, of course, I will match you. That's as simple as that. If I don't have someone suitable, I'll keep an eye out and I'll come back to you when I do have somebody suitable. There's no pressure on anybody. Completely come to me for a consultation even just to talk them through their options without actually joining the service for being maybe start getting back out to dances if you can go out or if you can and you know go and meet people if it's anywhere you can meet people is a great way but even saying to some of your close friends and family i'd love to meet and i'd love to meet someone the back page of the farmer's journey um, you can put a little ad up there. But what I would say is just, you know, don't be scared, but at the same time, enter with caution, okay? We all have to be aware of our safety and everything like that. Meet in a public place. Don't ever be giving anybody money, any of those sort of things. But in the most case, 99% of people you're going to encounter are going to be really lovely people also looking for something similar. So just take it slow, take it handy and um, do whatever you feel comfortable with. Know your own boundaries. Um, and, you know, if something does, you're going to meet lovely people, but you may, you may meet some not so lovely people if you're doing the online version. So what I'd say is don't let that deter you. OK, just keep on path. You would like to meet someone. Just keep going. Don't let anything stop you. In, 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 and especially don't let age stop you, because like, there's so many opportunities out there to find love that it would be an awful shame just to dismiss it, you know, offhand. And, realistically all of your friends and family would love to hear that you've met someone new they really would they'd love to hear that you have your love story as well if there's somebody in your life perhaps if you've been widowed perhaps your kids may have kind of considered that it's not something that they would like to see you with someone new perhaps even having a conversation with them say look you know um I'm, i need to have somebody in my life and i will be looking or if you do meet them um, nobody should stop you or nobody should be able to make any decisions for you. Don't care what other people think. It's you and your heart and it's up to you what you decide what you want to do. We do need to get better here in Ireland about putting our personal happiness first and forget about the net curtain twitching yeah. and all of that. Well, Mairead yeah. Lockman from Love HQ, thank you so much for joining us today. We're running out of time. I must say that if you're interested in hearing more from Mairead, you can check out Would Like to Meet. It's her very interesting podcast. I did start listening to it, Mairead, because I knew you were coming up as a guest Good. and now I've found myself home. <laughs> Initially, it was research only and I thoroughly enjoyed it. So, um, and I'm enjoying it. So thank Excellent. you for joining us on, on the show this morning. Good, I'm glad. We, we should, should say, of course, Mairead, you're not the only matchmaker in the country. This is just to allow people to be aware of the fact that there is a service yeah. out there. So if you're feeling lonely, it is something you might perhaps, if you have the budget, consider. Um, thanks for joining us on Chatters and Matters, Mairead. Right. We'll be back after the break.
You're listening to Chatters and Matters here on Midlands 103. The programme is, of course, brought to you with thanks to the County Councils and the Age Friendly Alliances across Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Well, I hope you enjoyed our chat about dating with Maraid Lockman of Love HQ. As you said, you know, it is a lonely world, so perhaps it might be something you will consider this year as a maybe to get back out there on the scene and to encourage us all to break out of our little bubbles that we've gotten so very used to over the past couple of years. Well, I just want to take a moment this morning to remind you that we want to hear from you. We want suggestions on who you'd like to hear on the show each and every week. We'd like to hear what you think of the show and please do get in contact with us. If you would like to do so, you can drop us a line to chatters, C-H-A-T-T, T-E-R-S at midlands103.com. So that's chatters at midlands103.com. And myself and Rosaline would genuinely love to hear from you. You're listening to Chatters and Matters here on Midlands 103. The programme is brought to you with thanks to the county councils and age-friendly alliances across Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Well, you know, we love getting on our local artists here on Chatters and Matters each and every week. You may say I have a bit of a soft spot for it, but this morning we are honoured to be joined by, by Mount Melick's Poet Laureate, Arthur Broomfield. Arthur, welcome back to Chatters and Matters. Thank you very much, Ashling. Delighted to be here. Now, Arthur, what on earth is a Poet Laureate? Well, it's... Um... A Poet Laureate, I suppose it's a great uh, title, isn't it? I mean, it is all right, yes. <laughs> great Poet Laureate in the, pa- in the past in, in the UK. Um, but um, so the um, Poetry Ireland introduced it this year and they, on, on a smaller scale. It was a great initiative, actually, because it brought poetry out to the provinces away from, from Dublin, from the, we'd like to say, the establishment in Dublin who seem to, you know, well, well, do well. Let's put it that way. Yes. But, uh, so um, they appointed poor, 20 of us anyway, and I was poet laureate for Mount Melick, um, which it meant was uh, that I uh, was pleased to write a poem uh, about Mount Melick. Uh, and um, I held two workshops uh, in, in, in Mount Melick, uh, as well. So we had some nice launches and all that kind of stuff, despite the COVID. Uh, so it went very well. And I made an awful lot of new friends. Now I have a lot of friends in Montmelic anyway, over the years, because I was involved there always with Montmelic people through sport and athletics and work. And, um, you know, so that was all good. And uh, a very warm town and it was really warmly received, I must say. And um, everything went well. Arthur, poetry, it's always seemed to me, is a very intimate art form. And it might be different in other countries, but here in Ireland, it tends to be an art form that we consume in books on our own or in school. Um, But we don't tend to see it in public life all that often. So, you know, as part of those workshops and getting to work with, with people in Mount Melick, um, was it, I suppose, was it nice to introduce people to poetry? Oh, yeah, it was lovely. And we're really interested. Uh, 
uh, you know, they were both with, with the uh, men's shed. And, uh, you know, people of my own vintage, let's put it that way, you know. Yeah. Uh, and some of them I've, I've known over the years. And uh, very receptive. And uh, we had some great, great fun there. And, and they were very receptive and very open to the idea and wrote some great, uh, the beginnings of some very interesting poetry. Let's put it that way. And I hope they're still at it because we, we're to meet again. And I'm looking forward to that. So, <laughs> so yeah. that's a, a not so subtle hint to the, the men of uh, Mount Melick's Men's Shed. You have to be doing your homework, lads. Um, so Arthur, talk to me then about I suppose the what it means for you on a larger scale because like there are a lot of successful poets in Ireland and does an accolade like this give your career for want of a better word a, a bit more prominence in Ireland in the poetry scene? Well I don't know but uh, Brendan Behan said there's a standing army of 1200 poets in Ireland so there's, there's big competition there if you want to look at it that way. Really, uh, it's for, well, first of all, it was a tremendous honor, you know, and it's a great honor to be recognized in your own in your own county, mm. which, you know, sorry about my phone, um, which, which, uh, you know, very, it, it pleased me greatly. I have to say that much. Uh, and I was delighted with it as regards being an accolade or that. Well, you see, the thing about poetry is really when you're writing a poem, you don't write it for an audience. You write it for yourself. You, you you try to go in inside yourself and and you know get out get out on paper what what you want to say and that's that's the big challenge and that's why you do it. Then of course, it's absolutely wonderful when when people say to you, "I read such a poem," or you might meet them in the supermarket or something and say, "Oh, I read such a poem and I really liked it." That's great because we're social beings and. Uh, it's very it's it's, um, it's 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 more than just a pleasure it's an honor really uh when people come up and say well i read that poem but i suppose you know poets you know this is uh, well robert lowell the american poet said uh, there's no money in poetry he said but there's no poetry in money so <laughs> <laughs> we don't uh, we don't do it for the money you know or even it's nice to get it's nice to get claimed, but we don't do it for that. And it's we're, we're human beings, of course, and it's nice to get claimed. Yes, we we do we do we would admit to that, but uh, primarily we're we're there working on a poem, you know, and it's going around our heads, and we're trying to get trying to get into shape and working and reworking it and crossing our words and putting in new words. It's uh, you're after reminding me of I don't know I don't know if you've seen it on Apple TV. There's a series about um, well it's a dramatization uh, based and I don't know how loosely it's based on Emily Dickinson's life. Um, oh, really. And I suppose it's a good, I think, visual representation of why artists do what they do, because like you say, it's in their head. They just have to get it out and it might not make sense to anybody else, but it's a drive. It's an urge that just has to be met. Arthur, I know um, recently as well, you were um, an artist in resident in Dunamay's College. Um, in school, poetry tends, or at least in my experience, and I did have some lovely teachers, but poetry was something that you you learned off by heart 
for the exam you learned how to analyze it um you did it for the exams and and that was it so i'm really interested as to um what you were able to bring to the table when you were in dunamay's college well it was a great experience uh, and there were um junior star classes uh, i think i had four of them uh, beautiful people lovely lovely students and really interested and uh, well we started off uh, looking at some of the poems that they were studying themselves and uh, giving a, a, rather than giving a teacher's impression of them and, and, and I must uh, mention the teachers in Donamais because they were fantastic to me and uh, uh, great help and, and great support and, and, and lovely people uh, but um, so I, I'd be looking at the poems from, you know, from how a poet would, would, would come up with this poem, how they'd write Elizabeth Bishop, for instance, or uh, we didn't talk about Emily Dickinson. She might be, you know, a bit advanced for mm -hmm. even even for the lovely students I had, because she is still obscure and is still ahead of her time. And she's one of my favourite poets because I'm into Samuel Beckett as well. And, and I see a great uh, uh, similarity between uh, her vision, her world vision and, and Beckett's. But yeah, but, but getting back to Donna Mays, yes. Uh, and, and so then uh, we, we started to write, uh, uh, I discussed with them uh, the strategies and the theories and uh, the practice of writing. And, um, and I must say, some of them came up with fantastic poetry. Uh, I was absolutely amazed. Well, These were 14, 15 year olds. Arthur, I, well, I'm sure I'm absolutely positive that you left a great impression on them. And I hope that in years to come, we've, we have a new uh, an Arthur Broomfield 2.0 out of your stay at, at Dunamay's College through that, which is a fabulous uh, programme of allowing artists to participate in schools right around the country. Um, it, it's, it's a wonderful initiative. But Arthur, um, it would be remiss of me to allow you leave without reading, allowing you, to, without asking you to read us as a piece of work. Um, would you mind reading us one of your poems? I would, of course. And this this poem, it's a, it's a sad poem, but uh, I wanted to write a poem about the COVID, but I couldn't really write one because it was too too immediate. Uh, so this is about a girl who died in the Spanish flu, a child. Who died in the Spanish flu in 1919 and I suppose it's um, people who I suppose I'd like to think that people who were bereaved because of the Covid could relate to this poem so I'll go ahead with it it's called the saddest story there's a grave in Nakshigauna not far from Rossmore town where a child so sweet is buried in her snow-white angel's gown. Anya, she was christened in the parish church of Screen on a day that's long remembered, the finest ever seen. T'was in the blessed month of June, the summer's longest day. The sun so hot it cracked the stones. The women heaped the turf and the farmers saved the hay. Father Paddy, he baptized her, made the cross with holy water upon the baby's tender head, Jim and Ellen's firstborn daughter. Some stories end up happy, 
sung beyond belief. If men had hearts of stone or bronze, they'd not control the grief that swept that noble parish when the word spread like a thief. Anya's life's been stolen, that now I tell to you. Five years from her baptism by Europe's Spanish flu. My story's told way better by one that stands alone for all to be reminded, her name writ bold upon it, Anya's sad headstone. That's, uh, that's that poem. Well, Arthur Broomfield, that was terribly sad, but absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us this morning. And thank you for joining us on Chatters and Matters. That's all we have time for on this week's show. My thanks to all of today's contributors and as always to my right-hand woman, Rosaline, for helping me keep the show on the road each and every week. We'll be back same time next week here on Chatters and Matters on Midlands 103.